2: Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you are listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is my co-host, Cliff Slotnick. Hey, Joe, how are you? And our cyber jockey, CJ, Zach Slotnick. Great to be here, Joe. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Today's segments will include the microband trivia quiz, Mr. Rich Finnegan of Environmental Solutions Professionals, IE Connections, What's News with Steve Sauer, and a little news commentary today by my co-host, Cliff Slotnick. If you need to uh, contact us, you can contact me at joe.hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at iaqtraining.com. And we'd also like to thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company, at microbandsystems.com, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com Dry Ease products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com and last but not least, John Don products where restoration and abatement contractors shop at John Don.com J O N D O N.com. To contact the show, you can go to the www.talkshoe.com www.talkshoe, website. Follow the directions to get your pin number. Our show ID is 1547. And if you would uh, like to send us questions in between shows for our guests, we'll be happy to do that at info at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, visit IAQ Trainings Institute for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's take it over to my co-host, Cliff Zlotnick, for the Microband Trivia Quiz. Mm
0: First, we offer congratulations to one of last year's trivia masters, Chad Seams, for correctly answering last week's two trivia questions. The first question was, which director of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency also served as an acting FBI director? Chad successfully answered that question. The answer is William Ruckelshaus. The second question, how did the ancient Chinese immunize people against smallpox? Chad successfully answered that question. The answer is by having them inhale scabs from those suffering from a mild form of the disease. We invite you to be the first to answer the microband trivia questions so you can win cool microband gear. Zach, the envelope, please. The microband trivia question for Friday, April 6, 2007. It's kind of a sex question, sex in the bedroom. We can presume that there was a high probability that these two rich and powerful men, Donald Trump and E.F. Hutton, had sex with their wives in the same bedroom. The trivia question is, where is that bedroom? I'll repeat the question. We can presume that there was a high probability that these two rich and powerful men, Donald Trump and E.F. Hutton, had sex with their wives in the same bedroom. Where is the bedroom? Back to you, Joe.
2: Thank you, Cliff. Always has a way of tying it into today's guest. Uh, That's a loose connection, but it's, it's a connection nonetheless. Thank you. Today's first guest is Mr. Rich Finnegan of Environmental Services Professionals. Rich is the president of numerous divisions there, and I'm going to have to let him explain that, but let me give you a little rundown of some of his background to start with. He, uh, is an accredited home inspection instructor in numerous states Texas South Carolina Vermont New Hampshire he's an author of four continuing education seminars for real estate appraisers he is also a licensed real estate appraiser in the state of Vermont he has done uh, lead based paint inspections and risk assessments also had done some uh, lead based paint contractor work. Uh, He has been an EPA asbestos, uh, part of their consultant program, and he was also a builder in Massachusetts for many years. Uh, He's also a founding member of the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, also Standards Committee member, member of the Board of Directors, and treasurer, as I understand it now. And Rich has been conducting indoor air quality investigations since 1989. His expansive experience in home inspection in the different types of home inspection training that he's done his uh, experience with the standards organizations he's worked with has led us to bring rich on and actually we brought him on as the only guest today because we're going to try and hit all three of our areas of interest the indoor environment the building sciences and last restoration and disaster restoration issues I think we have some intro music. Look me over closely. Tell me what you see. The lady likes to look her best. All That's right. pretty appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Well, really. well,
1: I have to say I love the music. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Rich.
0: Love the music. Marlena Dietrich. We uh
2: we certainly appreciate you joining us today. Rich, you, you're kind of the talk of the town, those are people out there that are in the know with what's happening in the industry. Uh, big news with ESP, and you're uh, joining up with ESP. Can you give us a little background on that?
1: Uh, sure, Ken. And I just want to you know, back up, and, and I appreciate you going into some of the detail, but what I what I like to do when I summarize, first off, where I've been is that I've got a background in architecture, building, and applied environmental science. And that kind of covers it all. And then in terms of uh, my my present um, uh, both uh, uh, part participation uh, as a board of director on uh, the environmental service professionals, one of the board of directors, I'm also the president of our software division, our uh, Pacific Environmental Sampling Division, and our All-State and Advanced Building Inspection Environmental Testing Divisions. Um, Along with that and, and, the key, and, and what all of those divisions are working toward today is the Certified Environmental Home Inspector Program, of which I am the director. So that's, that's, that's the, the, the long version of the, the nutshell. Um, and and, and the, uh, I, I have to tell you, um, I started on this journey, which has uh, brought me together with ESP uh, in 1990. In 1990, I was getting out of the real estate development business, as many other people were, and uh, and I was looking, at, you know, I was looking at home inspectors and looking at, you know, at, at that time there was no lead paint law nationally, and I was doing lead paint inspections. I was in Massachusetts, and I was looking at, you know, uh, and I was doing some septic testing, and then you know, Title V came out in Massachusetts where you had to be certified to do on-site sanitary waste disposal inspections, which I was doing already and became, you know, certified there. And I was looking at it, and I kept realizing that there was too much redundancy between the real estate appraiser, the home inspector, and and people that would be being called in for environmental services. So back in 1990, I had I had this vision that you know one one individual could supply a wide variety, a wide range, a, a broad range of services um, by if they were very sure to let their client know what they were doing at the time. They couldn't kind of mix and match and do them all at once, but they had to do them one at a time. And so in 1990, I actually started working toward uh, what we have today. And, and I think folks around the industry that know about, you know, Allstate Advanced with Building Inspections, Environmental Testing, we were the first company in America to put building inspections and environmental testing under the same roof.
2: I'm just curious, Rich. Were these more like a screen? Would you call that as opposed to a full environmental assessment?
1: Well, and um, that's a great question because you know I was involved in the environmental sciences much more deeply, um, as for instance, as a lead risk assessor, or, and that and uh, involved with you know asbestos and and it, much more deeply than I than I realized was necessary. At, at the point of sale, because we're always being involved in point of sale. Gotcha. And so you're absolutely right. What was needed was a screening process. And, uh, you know, in 1998, uh, we set up a little organization called the American Society of Professional Real Estate Inspectors, which to date it doesn't have a whole lot of members, maybe 300 members nationwide. And, but it was really designed to uh, provide some guidance to to the home inspectors that, you know, they really need to, at a minimum, provide disclosure about environmental issues. You know, if there's an underground fuel storage tank and a private water supply, you've got to recommend, you know, first recommend testing the underground fuel storage tank, number one. Number two, you absolutely have to, as a private water supply, you have to recommend testing. At a minimum, that testing should be the same as the HUD standard, which, by the way, is the only standard for testing water out there when you think about it. And that's the standard that's used by the federal government uh, before they'll guarantee a low income loan or a VA loan. Well,
2: so that, you know, a that
1: was sort of the direction. That was sort of the direction we took, and 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 we would distill from the more complex environmental sciences, and we would distill from that, and the and and the building sciences that we that you look at uh, on commercial buildings and 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 in you know industrial environmental environmentally contaminated sites and distill from that the good knowledge that we have and bring it over to the residential arena and apply it there.
0: Excellent. Rich, when you introduced this concept, how was it received by <laughs> building inspectors? I mean, did they buy into this or did they think it wasn't necessary?
1: Um well, Joe, you, heard, you may have heard me chuckling in the background. Yes. <laughs> uh, as, as a matter of fact, I remember not, not only did the building inspectors not and, and believe it and, and uh, not embrace it, uh, the real estate community, real estate sales professionals, um, I remember in 1993 uh, conducting a building inspection and, and talking to my client about radon testing. And um, I had the realtor pull me aside later and say, look, we love the way you do building inspections because you just know so much about the building itself. You know, you know, you really don't blow things out of proportion. You you put them in perspective very nicely. But if you're going to keep pushing this radon thing, we're not going to use you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because in 1999, when I started talking about mold, Again, they hung the garlic in the wind, put the crosses in the window, and hung the garlic over the doors. So, but and and many many people the, in the building industry, uh, in the real estate appraisal industry, uh, you know, the which and the home inspection industry, which encompasses most of the real estate industry, um, really didn't embrace it and didn't believe in it. Uh, but little by little, as I traveled around the country teaching uh, an environmental awareness seminar to real estate sales professionals for continuing ed and to real estate appraisers around the country and began um, uh, engaging an audience by writing for national magazines. Uh, little by little, uh, people started started coming out of the woodwork and saying, you know what, I agree with you. There's no reason why, you know, I couldn't do radon testing and water quality testing and septic testing. And there's, there's no reason why. And then when, you know, mold, you know, became – came um, you know, not we we all know that mold has been an issue for four thousand years, and remediation hasn't changed a whole lot in four thousand years. But that uh, when it when it became came to the forefront of the uh, pub the the public you know consciousness in the late '90s and early uh, you know 2000, um, you know all of a sudden some people started some forward thinking. Uh, inspectors and consultants started coming forward. And I. so what I did was started creating through Allstate Home Inspection and Household Environmental Testing, you know, some of the first hybrid offices where real estate appraisers became home inspectors, became, you know, environmental experts that were conducting screenings. And that was the important key that you started out with is that we're, in, we're conducting screenings. And then some people did grow to the next level and the level after that so that they couldn't conduct more than screenings and supply uh, a greater level of uh, expertise to the clients.
2: And, and how many franchises did you end up, if I'm using the correct word, I believe you, you franchised? Are, you are. How yeah, many we did, did you end up with?
1: We, we ended up, with, uh, we ended up uh, with about 75 franchises. And, you know, it's a funny thing, Joe. Everybody would look at me and say, "Oh gosh, Richard, such a you're know, so successful at this." And I would look at myself and say, "Be really angry. you know I'd really and, and you could talk to my franchisees about our conferences, how I really had a chip on my shoulder and how I'd be barking and, and, and preaching and, 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 and you know abs- you know, remember my name is Francis Xavier Finnegan, so the preaching came easy. <laughs> um, and, and, and the reason being is, I really had failed in my approach. You know, I know people listening, you had 75 offices and you failed in your approach. Because one of the huge problems with the industry at large is that Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, the Professional Insurance Association, and and the homeowners of America desperately want in household environmental services and desperately want to get out from under, you know, the lawsuits and when i when I started the franchise business, my mission my my goal was to have twelve hundred offices my but the mission is is my mission and the mission of our company and the mission of ESP is to ensure that someone 's American dream doesn't become a nightmare. but you know when you say that intrinsic to that mission are all of the benefits Joe, that inure to the Real estate sales professionals, the real estate industry, the insurance industry, the building industry, and the mortgage banking industry through reduction of their liability. This is one of the, the key times in, in history where um, all everybody's interest is aligned. Where you know action by an organization like you know like what we're doing in creating the C E H I and 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 if, and and action by the policymakers right now will benefit. Everybody in America, all the stakeholders, the, you know, the professional insurance, uh, the insurance industry, the real estate industry, the mortgage banking industry, and the builders, all of them will bend- benefit through reduction liability. And most important to me is the consumer will benefit because that will mean through prevention and some of the programs we're, we're promoting and producing that some little kid is going to be able to use the full capacity of their lungs for their entire life. Some, some child is going to be able to avoid uh, liver or kidney cancer in their life because they haven't been overexposed to arsenic and pressure, from pressure-treated lumber. And, and those are the things, Joe, that's why I'm in this business. That is exactly why I'm in the business because I could probably make, uh, have made, I know I could have made more money doing other things, but, but I am very passionate about the mission. And, and uh, we are right now at a crossroads and at the, at the next step the next evolution of of making that happen
2: Cliff has a question for yeah, you Yeah Rich
0: do you yes. do you view the certified environmental home inspector program as a viable business opportunity for individuals involved in indoor environmental air quality or must candidates for your program first be a home inspector
1: No I think that IAQ the IAQ industry is also a very viable uh, source of, uh, of individuals and participants in this program. And, and here's why. One, one of the key things is, um, you know, a, a certain level of, of expertise, you know, in either microbial investigation or, um, or home inspection. And, and, and really what I view is that the future of the IAQ industry and some of the household environmental testing, and I'm talking about residentially now, mm-hmm. and you've got to remember there's 120 million homes in America, is in the future of the home inspection industry, I believe that it really has to merge because there's too much redundancy and, and, and um, neither one of them are effectively serving the, the public. And, and when, when you don't effectively serve the public, uh, you eventually wither. But by joining the two of them together, you end up with a hybridized uh, uh, into, uh, a business with a hybridized perspective that's able to go into a property, effectively inspect it. And when you're talking about IAQ professionals, you know all of them, all of the good ones. And that's all we're looking. By the way, we're only looking for three thousand Joe, and we're only looking for three thousand CEHIs, and we're going to have three thousand of them within two years, and then we're closing the door, because these three thousand are going to be able to serve. You know, provide the services that we're we're helping market and sell for them, um, and and so with, you take a, a a good professional IAQ investigator, they've got to be able to identify why there is microbial growth, for instance. You know why? You, you know, don't just tell me that there's lots of microbial growth here. There's you know there are high concentrations of uh, of uh, of mold spores in, in the air. Well, where's it coming from? So, the, you know, we're not looking for the individuals that can't identify that it was from, you know, a leak in the flashing at the chimney or it's a leak here that don't understand the building envelope. Most IAQ – would you agree with me? Let me ask you guys the question. Would you agree with me that most good IAQ professionals understand the residential building envelope?
2: I, I'd say they have to. Yeah, they have to.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's the answer to the question. No, they don't have to be building inspectors. They only have to understand, have a have a a couple of years of experience, and understand the building envelope. Um, the reason that we're targeting the home inspection industry is because you know they're there, but we're also looking at the i a q industry as as participants in this program. And again, you know we're like the Marines; we're looking for a few good men, All but right. we wouldn't turn down a good woman.
2: Well, I've got, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a marine, an ex-marine here with a question for you, Cliff. Hey. Uh, Rich how does your company propose to handle
0: the remedial work which comes out of the esp home inspections
1: and yeah that's that's a great question cliff you know and let me tell you a little bit about my background first and 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 gosh i hope you know i don't want to be controversial and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but here I go. We don't mind. We don't mind. Here I go. You know, before IICRC existed, you know, before IESO existed, the land before time. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote remediation specs, and and had them implemented. And what I did is I looked at my experience in lead abatement and asbestos abatement, and you know, I was putting in putting up double. Critical barriers, independently taped. Mm-hmm. You know, negative, always under negative containment. Always had a clean room with two chambers in the clean in the clean room to for people to come in and out and to take off their you know contaminated gear and always uh, made it you know it was very rigid in my protocols and the approach. I would always and and, and I got to tell you, Charlie Wiles had a big influence on me early in my you know later on in my career. Um, I think Charlie Wiles, by the way, has done a lot for this industry. Absolutely. Even though he is a curmudgeon, even though he is a curmudgeon, <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, nothing comment
2: on that, Rich. <laughs> yeah. But I do so, agree; he's done a lot for the industry. Yeah,
1: and but so even though I, you know, I go in and I and I look at IICs, you know, I. I 520 and I, I look and look at it and I think they did a heck a bang up job on creating uh, creating a fabulous spec and yeah you got to scrape and you got to sand and you and you, you know I like scrapers better than sanders because a good sharp scraper by the way can can work faster and take off more. On uh, substrates than a sander.
0: I've become of the pressure washer persuasion myself, actually. But go back. <laughs>
1: okay, and and so yeah. You know, well, now we'll talk some real controversy, right. huh? Right. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, oh yeah, it's coming.
1: Yeah. So, so so then what what I would like to do is what I'd like to do is after it's physically it looks perfect, then I used to say, I want you to put a broad spectrum uh, a broad spectrum uh, biocide on it. And then as time went on and I'd write my specs, I'd say, man, you know, I just specified. My, I'd say broad-spectrum biocide, and in my spec I'd put like microband. Oh, well, we appreciate that. Well, no, it's true. And that's <laughs> yeah, what I put in. Thank it. you. And, cool. then, and then, but then when all is said and done and they, and they did that and then they HEPAVAC the whole place again, then I want them to use uh, Foster's uh, 4020 and put a coating on those areas. Mm-hmm. To encapsulate. See, it goes back to my lead mentality when I was encapsulating or my asbestos mentality when I was encapsulating.
2: Although the fosters it, is more, I would call it a coating, so we can say it breathes. We don't want to, yeah. you know, but uh, that's interesting that you were doing that prior to S520 well, and you still?
1: Well, I'm saying the, you know, the, the microband didn't, you know, wasn't there, you know, way back when I was, you know, using... Things that probably I would never think about, even admitting using today. <laughs> uh, but but then but then there's an, there's another you know product out there that we we've been looking at that that uh, you know we have I've looked at some uh, some of the sites and I've been watching and you know some of the enzymes are pretty interesting out there. Like there's this company Bioscience Industries that's got this TM100 stuff that you know they're doing some remarkable things with at 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 a much lower cost. So I don't think. First off, I don't think we are there with what a remediation standard is, because as I said at the beginning of the show, basically what we're doing is what we've done for 4,000 years, and you can read about it in the book of Leviticus, chapter 14 verses 35 through53, where they talk about the priest coming in and after seven days, ordering the stones and plaster to be torn down and thrown to an unclean place outside the village. Yes, sir.: The landfill. We all know that. So, you know, I I think that we are on the doorstep of not only um, remarkable events like the CEHI delivering, um, you know, all of these services to the benefit of the consumer and everyone else, but also on the doorstep of some remarkable developments uh, with, 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 uh, you know, enzymes and you know, enzymes like PM100 or biocides like, you know, microban, that are really have to be employed um, in, in order to ensure that the job is done.
2: Now let's, let's go back for a moment. I, I, we, I hope we didn't confuse anybody. We've got a bunch of people online, too, that I will try and get to okay, questions and, in a moment. But...
1: And to talk, to finish answering your question, because okay, I don't sure. want to sound like a, a politician who just has his own agenda and then goes, it so whatever you ask me, I'm going to just say what I want to say. To answer the question... Um we have a, a certified industrial hygienist who's been trained in, micro, in, in uh, indoor air quality and microbial sciences that has a staff uh, that when there is a, an issue in a, prop, in a property, we offer that service. And, and we review uh, the conditions, and we offer the service of writing a remediation plan. We don't write a remediation plan unless we are... Um, uh, contracted to do so.
2: And you do not do the remediation. You write oh, the plan heavens and oversee. Oh, no. Okay.
1: Heavens no. Okay, just clarifying I a that. Long it's time a time ago that, you know, you definitely do not want, you, you know, you don't, you know, ne- it's my opinion, and it's my humble opinion that you do not hire the fox to watch the hen house.
0: Gotcha. Cliff, let me, let me ask you a question on that, Rich. I'm sure that right. in your building, in, part of your building inspection, probably dealt with wood-destroying insects. Correct? Oh, sure. Correct. And oftentimes, yes, oftentimes pest control companies do real estate inspections. And yes. they find evidence of wood-destroying organisms. Okay? <laughs> I know and where you're going. I, I mean, either the organisms are there or they're not. There's either damage or there's not. It's either sure. active infestation or it's not. And the pest control industry for many, many years has been able to walk that fine line of being the fox that's watching the hen-, hen house. It's either there or it's not. You could always get a second opinion. The fact that they find it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get the job. It's the same thing that happens when you have a car accident and you're hooked up with AAA, you know, they they tow your vehicle to their lot or they tow their vehicle to, you know, within so many miles or whatever. There's no guarantee that they're going to be able to do the work and I I think what happens is some of these issues of conflict of interest uh, I think that certainly they, they sometimes exist, and other times they don't exist. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with an honest person providing uh, honest guidance and honest and reasonable solutions either. So,
1: you know, Cliff, that's I, I think that your statement and 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 you know, phrased as a question, um, whether I think that that's true. Um, I, I think that as a matter of convenience and and cost saving for the for the consumer, I think that. You're absolutely right, and, and I'll give you an example. That's why um, before, before you know, lead paint was uh, regulated nationally. Uh, the states like Maryland and Massachusetts that have did have lead paint laws would allow. They didn't find it a conflict of interest within their laws um, that a lead inspector, for instance, could do the inspection, then do the abatement, but then they could not do the clearance testing. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, that uh, I understand. That's yeah, and and so I think you're at because there was some convenience there, and there is certainly a savings. Uh, and and then you don't have the problem with communications, you know. I thought the I thought the inspector meant this. So yeah, there is a benefit. And the key phrase there, Cliff, was was you know as long as they were honest and they had integrity and 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 you know adhered to some sort of you know code of ethics. I think the reason that we obviously this is you know it's a it's a lucrative and you know can be well done. It's a, it could be a lucrative industry. We are not involved in that industry because we, never, we don't want to have um, any appearance of conflict of interest. Okay. So that, and, and that's why. So I don't disagree with you that um, the right person, uh, right company doing that, 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 it's, that it's not an issue. Um, but I always like to use my little analogy about the hen and the chicken nonetheless. But I, but I will have to agree with you.
2: What well, I'd like to do real quick, Rich. Let's take a, a short segue here into the IE Connections news, and then we'd like to bring you back and, and talk a little bit more. Does that work for you?
3: Oh, it's great. Love to talk to you guys some more. Very okay.
2: Fine.
3: You got a kitten up a tree. Well, come to me, and I'll say it makes it on the front page. The mayor's mother broke a toe. they got to know. Stop the press. It's the mayor. A scandal. They ain't held it. Big
2: news another shock rock. Right Hello Steve Sauer, are you out there?
4: Yes, I'm here. How's it going, guys? It's
2: great. How huh? time for IEC What's news? We we've got to do a quick 5 to 10 minute uh update, Steve. What's happening? You've got an issue coming out? Now? Yeah, yeah.
4: Okay. Yeah, the uh, April issue was printed today, uh, and that's going to turn up in the hands of readers over the next week or two. Now, we'll that's... be archiving it online at ieconnections.com around the same time frame.
2: Now, A couple uh, weeks back, you had given us a couple, some updates on like the headlines and all, but this morning we discussed the fact that you have a very interesting article further back in the, in the paper that uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about. Can you give us some information on that one?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, I think you're referring to uh, Dr. Bob Brandis. Um He's a highly credentialed and well-read consultant, researcher, and author in Illinois. But he gave us this article that explores something many consultants in the IAQ industry take for granted. Uh, whenever you get the results back from a lab on a mold sample, the sampling error and the analytical error are identified on paper. And it's like, the margin of error that you see on any scientific poll—it's just there—you take it for granted. So, what if you take that same slide and you send it out to a bunch of different labs? How much do spore counts vary from one place to another? That's what uh, Dr. Brandis looked at, uh, conducting that very experiment. I'm not gonna, you know, try and let the cat out of the bag, but uh, you'll have to read the article for that. But you know, I'll just leave it and, uh, at saying that uh, when you see the results, you might be pretty surprised.
2: You may or may not, I guess it depends on uh what your uh background is here. I have a funny feeling uh i I have a funny feeling I know what those results are going to be, and I know <laughs> if our technical director was here, he would have something to say about that part of the problem is they don't have a standard way of doing this unfortunately,
4: and, yeah, uh, that's actually in his conclusions then he uh you know comes up with uh some sort of standard that uh, that might work.
2: Well, that's know. something we can talk to Rich about because he's also on the IESO's um, board of directors, the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, which now has their ANSI accreditation, and we all know there's a, a real need for some good, solid standards for that type of uh, work in this industry. What about uh, next week Any or next month? I mean, we, anything else, first of all, this month that we should know about that's coming out and watch for? Yeah,
4: yeah, I guess so. There's, uh, well, we've been doing monthly legislative updates ever since uh, state representatives went back to work early this year. So there's another one in the April issue. Uh, this time we focused on what's going on in uh, the states of New York and New Jersey. There's legislation there uh, that proposes uh, sweeping regulations of what they're calling toxic mold, oh, the creation of state insurance programs for this toxic mold. Oh, my. And, uh, they're mandating research into the health effects of what they've preemptively labeled toxic mold and so <laughs> forth. And uh, now about that term, that, and, and I'm using air quotes here.
3: <laughs> okay.
4: Our, uh, our publisher made a conscious decision um, a few years back not to allow the term toxic mold to be used by ourselves because the science is out there, is is out on it, you know and uh, scientists debate the toxicity of mold. So we don't use it ourselves, but of course we quote other people who do. Our uh, our publisher, Glenn Fellman, in his column in April, you know, tears into those states for using that term and for thinking that there can be such a thing as a minimum exposure level that, uh, that you can research and find out and, you know, would apply across the board to everybody. The consensus among leading scientists is that, you know, you can't do that. So Glenn uh, says that he wishes those states, New York and New Jersey, would adopt what's been said in Maine, where, you know, that was the front page of our uh, our paper in March, where they're not going to try and reinvent the wheel and, you know, come up with the impossible. Good.
2: Well, what's coming up next month? And uh, man, I know we can't give away <laughs> too much, Steve. But come on, give me a little, yeah, little nugget. Much. Come on, what do you got? I mean,
4: uh, yeah, we haven't even gotten the April issue out to readers yet. <laughs> me, that's fine. Me, that's fine. Give me one
2: little uh, tidbit that people can uh, just because a radio
4: show, yes sir, <laughs> and Radio Cliff. Uh, <laughs> well, we're looking at a big section on ultraviolet equipment. Um, the Three people representing companies uh, that specialize in UV systems are going to explain their technology in this uh, special section. It's a type of thing we've run a few times in the past. This time, our our lineup uh, consists of uh, Jeff Steins of American Ultraviolet Company. He's going to address myths and uh, misconceptions regarding UVC lamps. Uh, Chris Willette of uh, Triatomic Environmental, he's going to be talking about uh, low-voltage circuits for UV light systems. And then the last guy is Aaron Engel, of SandyVox Technologies, Uh, in his paper, or article, he uh, talks about why certain situations translate to the use of different types of UV systems, so it depends what you got.
2: We're going to have to get a fourth opinion in there, maybe, one that uh, isn't quite as uh, pro-UV, I don't know, do we have any of those? You've had that in the past, though, haven't you?
4: Yeah, we have had that, Yeah. Yeah, this time it just happens to be... uh, But it sounds
2: like you're really getting into more of the the science and the different applications as opposed to one-size-fits-all, which is what we've unfortunately seen a bit of advertised out there.
4: Right, Right.
2: Great. Well... Thank you, Steve. We always uh, appreciate having you join us here at uh, IAQ Radio. Please stick around. At the end of the show, we'll uh, do a little roundtable. I don't know if you had any questions for Rich, but uh, if Probably. you do. All right. Well, hang in there, and we'll, we'll get with you back, uh, back at the end of the show here.
4: All right.
3: Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you, Steve.
3: You got a kitten up a tree, well, come to me, and I'll see it makes it on the front page. The mayor's mother broke a toe. They gotta know. Stop the press. It's the mask. It's a scandal. They ain't held it. Big news. Another shot The rock.
2: Right okay. Let's bring Rich Finnegan back in here. Rich, are you still with us?
1: I most certainly am. And it was great. It was great to hear Steve's voice.
2: Oh, the only Steve. thing I
1: like the only thing I like listen better than listening to Steve talk is listening to. Play the piano. <laughs> <laughs>
2: sure. Yeah, he can. He's the piano man. That's for sure. He sure is. Well, Rich, let's um, let's backtrack just a little bit. Allstate had all of these uh, franchises. What? Yes, sir. What happened from there? They ESP came along well, and said, "Hey, you yeah. know, Rich, we like you. Uh, we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse." What happened there?
1: Um, they they. It was funny. It was last October at the uh, at the conference. Oh, okay and um uh, you know i Joey leone who is uh y- you know w- one of the one of the folks at e s p and and uh the c e o ed torres uh said you know invited me to have a you know a cup of tea with them and started telling <laughs> me about their vision and i said you guys uh you know s- s- did you get a hold of uh you know my mission statement and you know <laughs> kind of rework it a little bit fellas and uh <laughs> and you know the the vision was so close to my vision um that we realized that well you know uh we talked about it I said you know it, it would be great to be able to join forces and and uh take advantage of what we um respectively created uh and or i my and my position was you know either that or we're competitors uh, <laughs> you know and uh the interesting thing was that um, it just made all sorts of sense, not not just for me, me, but, but for them as well, and for the rest of the industry, and for the public at large, for us to do this, and for all of the stakeholders so, that I mentioned earlier.
2: Now, for the listeners on the line, let me just get them the website. It's espusa.net, is that correct? That's correct. Some of them may want to take a look at that while we're talking, and then they may have questions. We'll have a little question and answer section here at the end. Um, so ESPUSA.net, dot net, and you are now a uh, your franchises are all now a part of that organization.
1: That's right. we're we're a divi- we our company the the original company is now a division of ESP, but I am also not only a division president, I'm also on the board of directors of ESP.
0: Great. Cliff, you know, continuing on this financial uh, discussion point. Sure. Um, were you wooed by any other suitors for your business um
1: uh, yeah over over yes over, over, we and i uh, you know that i can 't you know say who they were, but uh yeah yes i I was, and we also looked at the option of actually doing an IPO.
0: okay
1: right, and uh you know take and, and I was working uh with a um, uh, mortgage uh, rather an investment banking firm. Uh, and, and also was working with one of the foremost attorneys for, of, uh, for creating captive insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was, I was spending uh, a lot of time and a lot of money exploring how to, how to get out. Of, I viewed you know, I was in a rut. You know, we sold 15 franchises last year and 32 the year before that, and I'm looking at myself saying, oh, you're in such a rut, Rich. You're such a loser. <laughs> and because you can't get... Here's, here's the problem, gentlemen. There are the, – the, the, the insurance company has houses it won't write insurance for because they've had two or three water intrusion claims. It's something called a Clue report, and they can't get off of it. People can't get off of it. They're in these state pools that they pay an exorbitant amount for homeowners insurance because of it. The, the insurance industry would like to get some of these three million people off of that report so that they could supply them with insurance and they could go back into the marketplace for them. Uh, You know, the insurance company is spending billions of dollars on remediation, billions of dollars on lawsuits, and let's not even venture into the bad will that's generated when they turn down a claim. That's the insurance industry. There are people, when they become ill from exposure to uh, indoor quality contaminants, and let's stick with microbials, or, or, um, you know, or the house becomes too contaminated through um, long-term uh, leakage or, or water intrusion or moisture, um, you know these people. If they can't work because they become sick, or if they can't afford to do the remediation, there are there are, are people that walk away from the home, and then there's foreclosures. So you have all of this loss being suffered. And then, of course, you know the real estate agent, if there if it was a recent transaction, get involved in lawsuits. I mean, there's just all this bad will and loss that can be avoided with an annual moisture management inspection, an MMM. So, um, you know, the only, but here's the problem. We would like to see it mandated by the Professional Insurance Association, by, I'll give you another example, reverse mortgages. You, You may or may not know this, but every mortgage in America has a clause in there that says that you will maintain your home consistent with the condition that it is in presently. And you have a legal contractual requirement to do that. Now, where's the incentive for someone, a reverse mortgage gentleman, if you're not familiar with it, is people, usually baby boomers, you know, past 55 years old or, or usually older, get a 15 year reverse mortgage where they eat up, they get a check every month using up the equity of their home, and then the bank takes possession of the home at the end of the term
3: sure. or
1: they pay the money back. Okay. So, so, where is the incentive? When you're eating the equity up in your house to maintain it these these you know this happened in in England, and what happened when the banks took these properties over is they didn't have any equity they didn't have any value they were deteriorated you know piles of rubble effectively that people were living in so I mean you know there are all of there's all of this need for the other stakeholders will skip the consumer there are all of these needs for the other stakeholders, and they would like. To make policy, but here's the problem. There is no body available, and I mean a body, I mean group, profession, available to provide the services and to implement the policy. So they're not going to write policy that, you know, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, Professional Insurance Association, mortgage banking industry, they're not going to write policy that can't be implemented. So so who's the first one that comes to mind? Real estate appraisers. There's an industry that has a uniform system. The problem is real estate appraisers for the last 20 years have disavowed their knowledge of buildings so that now they're effectively, and, and all of you real estate appraisers listening, I'm a fellow real estate appraiser, here I go. There are, many of them are effectively a rubber stamp stamping the value. Yes. And that's what's happening. And, 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 and I apologize if people are insulted by that because you happen to be an appraiser that's not doing that, but many, many times that's what occurs. So they've disavowed their knowledge of housing, so then that leaves you the home inspection industry. The home inspection industry, and I don't care if you're Allstate Home Inspection, Advanced Look Building Inspection, Amerispec, Housemaster, Pillar to Post with 400-something offices, you are not a brand. You are not uniform. You've go, you know, you got different laws in different states doing different things. You've got 1,000 different report forms. You got it, the organ, it is so splintered. you can't rely on them. So what we're doing is we are creating a uniform protocol for reviewing a property for mold, for moisture management. Because we all know that mold is not a problem. Moisture and water intrusion is the problem. Moisture is a symptom of the problem. If you go out there and manage it and do an annual MMM, moisture management inspection, what you've done is you will virtually eliminate the lawsuits, the bad will. The bad health, the asthma attacks, the, you know, all of these things can be, well, it won't be eliminated, but will be dramatically reduced.
2: I think you read Cliff's mind here.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, actually, you, you kind of read my mind. <laughs> I was on the website, and I looked at the information on the mold and moisture management program. Yes. And I've got a couple of, of, of questions on it. Okay, sure. first of all, it seems to be designed to build income or business volume for your inspectors. And that's a good thing. I have no problem with that. I'm certainly a capitalist myself. It, it, it had this recommended annual fee of $250. And yep. to me, that seemed costly compared to what some people might be paying for homeowners insurance. And you know they actually get something for that. Homeowner. I mean, the insurance company puts a lot of money at risk for that several, you know, four or five hundred dollars in premium. The insurance company has yep. several hundred thousand dollars uh, at risk when they do that. Yeah. I, I guess what my questions are because houses vary in both value. Your liability as an insurer for this program and an inspector for this program would also vary. I mean, you could have a home that might be in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. You can buy a pretty nice home here for a hundred thousand dollars, and you may not be able to buy one in Massachusetts for five hundred thousand dollars. So it's it seems that you know that the flat fee, you know, didn't seem to make adjustments for different values and different risks and and so on and, and so, so forth. What,
1: you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good point, Joe, because one of the things in our rec- recommended price scheme is, you know, we don't have the whole price table down there, but okay. $250 is up to 2,000 square feet because, you know, okay. Okay. I, I, was, I, I, went, I was down in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I it was at um, a Thanksgiving celebration with some friends, and um, their house was 42,000 square feet underneath the roof.
0: 42,000? <laughs>
1: yeah, they had an acre, almost an acre under the roof. Okay. And, uh, I, you, know, my, you know, my wife and daughter and I go back to our, you know, our little 2,800-square-foot, you know, 2,900-square-foot you know, home on, on some nice acreage in the middle of Vermont on a dirt road, and we're just kind of shaking our heads saying, why? But, you know, <laughs> the, the, it, it's going to your point that, yes, there's a great diversity, in housing styles, size, and value, so it's two hundred and fifty for the first two thousand square feet, and it's ten cents thereafter.
0: Okay, I, I guess a, a, a follow-up question. Per square foot.
1: Follow-up. So, so there is, so there is, there is fluctuation. But going back to the other question, the billions of dollars that are spent by the insurance company, we're asking the insurance company to under underwrite this program. We're 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 actively. Approaching the insurance company and and have high level meetings that are ongoing right now. It, uh, it is our hope, and I, I'm hoping that uh, you'll show up at our at our uh, summit on May 18th in Palm Springs, uh, our uh, mold moisture management summit in Palm Springs, and uh, and see what's going on. Uh, we are very hopeful to help influence policy because sh- when you start influencing policy and you take uh, you know. Uh, you know, $50 uh, and, you, 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 for, and you lower the interest rate on a house that's getting a, an annual moisture management inspection because, you know, you've reduced the, uh, the chances of that house becoming deteriorated or lost because there's not only a, will be a perceived um, increase in value for a home that's had a professional look at it on an annual basis, there's a real increase in value. And then, and then, so we're looking to for the, both the mortgage company, the uh, mortgage banking industry, and the insurance industry to come in and make a nominal contribution to the homeowner, so that you know maybe the homeowner is paying 125 or 150 dollars a year, and that's a small amount of money for peace of mind annually. All
3: right. And that's that's what
1: we're that's what we're offering. Homeowner, we we we're going to take the the, the headache out of home ownership and provide peace of mind.
0: How are you going to ensure on honesty of the client? You know, they could have a toilet overflow, that kids could, uh, you know, let the bathtub overflow. Uh, oh. You know, m- many water damages are internal, and I don't know how you're going to get them to admit it, particularly if it's going to cost them money.
1: Oh, Joe, that's a great question. It's, see, here's the thing. We're working for them. You know, we, our client is the homeowner. You know, we're going to them. This is, and 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 what happens is when when the CEHI walks in, that that this is one product. You know, we're offering energy inspections. Uh, we're offering we're offering um, you know radon testing, which is you know um, I'll tell you uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that you know later. We're offering neighborhood environmental reports, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about that product and allergen screening. So we're offering a bunch of products, but the annual product would be the MMM, but. You know, during that, that time, you know, they the uh, client the client may bring us in to do an allergen screen, and then we, you know, talk to them and um, provide them with, you know, information, guidance, and education about the benefits of having somebody annually come in and catch something before it's a big issue, because you know, if a shingle blows off on a roof, a lot of homeowners wouldn't even notice it, and if the shingle blows off on the roof and it happens to be next to a flashing and water gets in there they could end up with a significant mold problem in their house if it was left undetected. The average homeowner doesn't look up at their roof. Yet if there's somebody going out there annually inspecting the property and doing a uh, moisture management or CMI as we call them, certified uh, moisture management inspection, and they're looking at the property, it doesn't matter if it was a tub or anything else. The information goes to the client. It doesn't get reported to the insurance company. It's not being reported. But what you're doing is you're nipping it in the bud. And and I think when it comes to mold contamination, that we're talking, it has never been truer than what your grandmother told you, and that's an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And when you're talking about curing mold, they measure that by the ton.
2: Yes sir. Now let's review real quick the CEHI. These people will have a background or education in home inspection uh possibly or IAQ. If, or IAQ. They will be trained on radon? Yes. The um neighborhood I didn't quite catch that. Yeah, well,
1: let me run it let me run it over. Please let me run through it for you. Uh radon. Um we've we've uh Come to an agreement with uh, a radon laboratory called American Radon Laboratories, uh, which I co-founded with um, Mike Bittner. And um, American Radon Laboratories is the use uh, utilizes what are called spur one readers and electret ion chambers. EPA identified electret ion chambers as the most accurate passive testing devices, more accurate than continuing radon monitoring devices the most accurate passive testing devices available in the marketplace and when the government wants radon testing done they want radon uh, rather uh, electrode ion chambers now what we've done is we're the first laboratory in America to provide web-based analysis so that somebody can use this reader and and take the simple results in voltage drop log in uh, two numbers, effectively, and get instant results through web-based analysis 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the amazing thing is that we are only charging all all of these CEHIs $5 per test. That's $2.50 per canister. So what we've got is the most accurate devices that are being used, and that's the technology we're always going to promote is the best technology as a CEHI. And, and so the devices they're going to use, their most accurate devices, they're going to have instant results 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for the lowest price being offered in the country. And the training that they receive um, is a correspondence course that was produced by Doug Clatter. Doug Clatter is one of the, you know, you know, I don't want to tip his age, but he's one of the granddaddies in the radon industry yes, and, and provided some of the original work for EPA on radon mitigation. So it's his correspondence course followed by classroom review and then proctoring of the NEHA exam, National Environmental Health Association. So that's the piece they get for Radon. Okay. Then they get um, the piece for um, uh, energy inspection. There's a company called CMC, and Steve Luxton is out there training people around the country in Doris Inkle's book. It's the home energy tune-up by empower, empowering the country uh, through energy savings. And what they've done is they've come up with a very clever database, and I've looked at some of the research on it. And basically, they're getting, giving the consumer ninety plus percent of what somebody is getting when they get a eight hundred, nine hundred, or a thousand dollar energy audit. But more importantly, they're getting the summary with almost identical information. Okay. Uh, the the what, because what the consumer doesn't need, they don't need to know the infiltration rates of those windows. They don't know to know the U value. They don't, you know, it's it's. It, it, they don't need somebody running around with a, a UV camera. and They don't need, you know, blow a doors. What they care about is the summary sheet, and this is what you get it, it from from this. Um, it, it's more of an estimate, and it's not as exact, but it really gets them in the ballpark. So what they get from this energy inspection, which only costs two hundred and fifty dollars for a house up to two thousand square feet, um, is. Uh, uh, just because I knew
2: Cliff was going to ask me that. (laughs) Uh, uh, Once again, though, it's a screen, essentially, not necessarily. It's a screen,
1: but it's so close to the same information. Every time I look at where there's been an energy audit and where they've done the same test, the results are very, very close. So here's what happens. The the important thing for the consumer is this. They get a table that says, you know, these light fixtures, these windows, this air conditioning system, this heating system, this, you know, these doors, these water heaters, these, um, you know... Uh, appliances, are ca- each, each line-by-line, cost you this much per year in your region, because energy costs vary from region to region, mm-hmm. to operate. If you replace it with a similar model, but modern energy-efficient, newer energy-efficient, it will cost you this much money. And if you do that, over here in the end table, is this is how much money you'll save. So we're talking with energy costs skyrocketing. This is a way for people to really be able to pick and choose and save potentially thousands of dollars per year and really get a lot of bang for the buck. And furthermore, just as important as that savings is we get to reduce the the amount of greenhouse gases that are being emitted into our atmosphere and at the same time empower the individual to make a choice that can help them improve the environment and the air that they breathe outside. So that's the second piece. Um, The third piece is the allergen screening. Now, the allergen screening—you um, know, asthma, allergies—heck, um, I'm going to ask you guys a question: How many people in America have upper respiratory uh, problems and illnesses? Do you know?
2: I know it's it's growing, yeah, tr- tremendously. And,
1: yeah, I I mean it, it. You know, EPA has some crazy statistic that I think that I think I heard, and 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 I'm I'm trying to remember. I thought it was one out of six visits to emergency room as a child under the age of six suffering from an asthma attack.
3: Right.
1: And I, 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 I think I, something like I mean, it's, it's astounding. We're not talking about uh, uh, millions. We're talking tens of millions of people suffer, suffer from upper respiratory problems. So, yeah, you know, a lot of it is as simple as, hey, lady, get the cat off your pillow.
2: Yes, or you talking moved to my wife them.
1: now by the way <laughs>
2: and and people are moving into homes every day and and they have no idea who lived there before and how many cats were there or dogs and you know
1: absolutely what's in, what's buried in the carpet you've got it, so All right. an allergen screen can help provide that information so that they can make a decision about their indoor air quality environment and have some some idea of what might be causing those problems and it's very inexpensive again it's a 260 dollar test and as you can tell what we've done is we're we're really targeting trying to make everything affordable for the consumer because our goal is our mission is to ensure that someone's American dream doesn't become a nightmare, like I said before. So that's the allergen screening. And um, we just you know, got a
2: text know. message: fifteen million Americans suffer from asthma alone, from one of our listeners here. So,
1: thank you for whoever that listener was. Thank that's you the very bi- much. The binary binary
2: cleric. cleric. Thank you, binary cleric.
1: Okay. So then, so now we go to the. Um, uh, the neighborhood environmental reports, which is something i I guess sense that you maybe not have heard a lot about, but um, ha, ha, have you gentlemen i 'm sure you have you know what uh, phase one environmental assessments yes are. Sir. yes we
2: right. for mostly okay. commercial
1: right. absolutely Phase one environmental assessments eighty uh, percent of the data for phase one environmental assessments are produced by edR environmental data resources, and environmental data resources by the way, is one of ESPs and the CEHIs trading partners and endorses and supports us 100% in our approach. And they're a billion-dollar European company. And in England, they produced a product that was a neighborhood environmental report, a sort of a, 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 an abridged phase one environmental assessment for residential properties. Within seven years, 40% of the residential transactions in England now have one of these neighborhood environmental reports as part of the transaction process. Interesting.
2: And then you also have the mold and moisture management inspection. Yep. Which is is so, that based on the CRMI from indoor environmental standards?
1: On, absolutely. That's based on the CRMI. And there's another standard because the CRMI doesn't quite put its arm or arms around the moisture. Um, I'm hopeful that, by the way as it's being reviewed, because it is one of the standards that are um, being rewritten as an ANSI standard by IESO, um, I'm hopeful that we, you know, uh, get our arms around uh, a little more of the prevention and, and, and moisture management. But to, to address that, there is a second piece. So you, they get the CRMI training. They, um, you know, they get part of it is done, uh, they get a correspondence course um, that has two DVDs and a manual so that they have a reference manual that sits and, 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 and a refresher DVD that shows them how to do the sampling, how to interpret the data. And and uh, so it's the ISO CRMI standard, and it's also the um, CMP Certified Mold Moisture Management Professional by NAMP, which is a relatively new organization. It's the national. It's not the other NAMP. It's the new NAMP.
2: Okay. <laughs> it's the National you had me Association. for a minute. I was a little worried. I know you're
1: Yeah, I know. The National Association of Mold uh, uh, of Moisture and Mold Professionals. So, okay. and and the focus of, uh, of NAMP is actually going in there and getting to the root and, and the, so the, the CMP certification is all about moisture management and recognition of the conditions, uh, and, 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 and early. So between the two of them, you know, we, are strengthening, um, you know, what the, what the mold, uh, the indoor air quality professional will be doing during the screening. Okay. The, and, and there, now along with the training, and we've got some of the best trainers in the country, um, Hey, as you know, Joe, we are approaching <laughs> the best trainers of the company country to come on board.
2: Yes, sir. And,
1: and 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 the ones that we have, the trainers that we have, are known in the industry as top professionals in training in the country. Um, so what we're doing with this program is we're we're basically um, going to take, you know, every everybody's going to file in cabinet full of work and they don't even know it. You know, and that's why the home inspectors are. You know, they're starving right now, and we're saying, like, guys, you see the filing cabinet? It's a gold mine. You know, I don't mean to be crass and mercenary, because that's really not why I'm in this. But they—they're hungry right now, and they're above—they're they're busy fooling around with transactional business. This CEHI is going to turn every home into in America into the marketplace of into their marketplace. They're a new breed of inspector. You take that. Uh, filing cabinet, and we're going to have trained prof- sales professionals that take that, do an outreach program, do a marketing program, a sales program. We're going to sell jobs from their filing cabinet for energy inspections, neighborhood environmental reports, allergen screening, radon testing, and mold moisture management. And that's going to become their book of business. They're going That's going to be identified. Nobody they call in on, on the uh, toll-free number. You know, right away there's, uh, you know, the, and, and the person identifies who they are, boom, comes up in the database, oh, you're Joe Hughes. That, that's, that job goes to Joe Hughes. So, you know, we've got trained professionals there. We give them the supply. So we've given them that we're going to supply them with the equipment, the training. We're going to sell the work for them, and we're, going, we're supplying them with all the supplies, and we're paying for the lab fees.
3: Well, it you know, it,
2: it <laughs> sounds like a, a fascinating program, and then we are running a little low on time here, Rich. But before we, I'm sorry. before we go, no, no, it's been fascinating. There's numerous other things I'd like to talk to you about. I hope we can have you back. But before we go, let's see if we've got any questions out there. I see IEC News is. is uh, Steve, are you still on? Yeah, I'm
4: still uh, here. Any questions for Rich? Hi, Steve. How's it going, Rich?
1: Hey, Steve. Yeah, you haven't queried me on my that article for the uh newspaper yet and it's an article that you really need. It's how do you calculate diminution in a mold contaminated property? That's
4: true. I do remember you uh, You need
1: that. Tell yeah. when
4: do you want me to send it to you? Oh, we could talk about that on uh, the air. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what do you have for uh, for Rich here? My uh, Steve. Oh yeah.
4: Okay, cool. Yeah, I wanted to ask uh you know about well, home inspectors on the job have to encounter situations that are beyond their scope of knowledge or expertise, and I was wondering what uh, kind of technical support would be available to CEHIs in terms of professional engineering, industrial hygiene, medical, things like that.
1: Well, I, you know, that's a great question. And one of the things that we uh, that we provide during the training is um, – a support system that hasn't been seen before. Uh, our support system includes not only the certified industrial hygienist staffing, so you're talking about going in that direction, hmm. but we've, uh, through through AHI, Allstate Advanced Building Inspection and Environmental Testing Services, we've got uh, people that have been out there for nine or ten years that, have, that really have... Uh, taken every training, you know, some of them are CIEC Certified in, Indoor Environmental Consultants, CMCs, and, you know, and they've done all the training, and, and we have a tremendous educational support system that we've built, so we've got about 15 technical support people that every CEHI is going to have a, a whole bank of cell phone numbers, so that they will actually, and, and, and the cell phone numbers are not all in Vermo- to Vermont, because you won't always get us in Vermont here. Um, but there are people, uh, you know, trained professionals that are out there actively pursuing their career, but are paid by AHI and ESP to supply technical support. So we've got a technical support network beyond the CIH staffing that sits in an office all over America that these uh, CEHIs can call, you know, within reason. You can't call three in the morning. So right. I angry oh you know in every time zone across the country in every corner of the country great question steve
4: and how about medical
1: in terms of uh well one of the things we do is when a cehi becomes uh jumps on board with us Hmm. um they they are uh actually qualify for um the the aetna group medical plan um that that you know Uh, we're part of. And for maybe one of the first times in the life of the inspector or the IAQ individual, they're starting to get uh, group rates and uh, be treated, um, you know, to the benefits of being in a a, uh, medical uh, insured network. So they get, uh, you know, that sort of uh, some of those medical benefits that they otherwise wouldn't get as uh, without being affiliated with us.
4: Oh, not what I meant, but I'll take it. <laughs> I think
2: what he meant was, what if people were complaining of health effects? This is one of the big issues yeah. when we're doing oh, oh, a screen. Oh, oh. Well, we, well, you know,
1: yeah. Well, as 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 hell, you know, we're not we're not doctors. Thank you. Um, okay. I mean, I used to, I, you know, maybe when I was, you know, a kid, I used to play doctor, but I'm not doctor
3: anymore. <laughs> I'm not
1: playing doctor anymore. So um, now, well, but it's very clear that um, uh, that that every single one of our uh, CEHIs are trained to understand um, and to when somebody says, my eyes are runny or itchy, and especially, you know, when the sun hits that wall, when I'm sitting in that chair and the sun hits that wall right below where that leak was, <laughs> it seems like I get this, you know. So they're recognized to understand the symptoms that someone could suffer and, and turn that area into a suspect area, as, as they should. But at the same time, not to provide medical advice, right. including but not limited to, um, you know, in the screening stage, advice that uh, deals with um, uh, rehabilitation. You know, advice about rehabilitation is really advice that should be provided by a medical practitioner familiar with their medical history and whatever environmental reports have been um, provided.
2: All right, thank okay. you for that clarification. Steve, thanks for the question. Let's see if uh, Mike, uh, is Mike on the line there? It looks like we got Mike. Mike Mike Bittner, I heard your name mentioned before. Are you on the line?
3: Yes, sir, I am. <laughs>
2: Any questions <laughs> or, or comments for uh, Mr. Finnegan? He, he brought you into the conversation, so we better uh, make sure you don't, you, you can defend yourself or uh, add to it mm-hmm. whatever you'd like. <laughs>
3: How do you follow up any conversation that was started by Rich Finnegan? It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> it's I, tough to get a word we, in.
2: We were a little worried about filling an hour here, and and uh, that was not the least bit of our problems here today. But, uh, Mike, we look forward to talking to you in the, in the future. You're also a member of the IESO board, and uh, that's a subject we really didn't get to talk much about. Maybe, Mike, you can give us a little uh, hint. What's What's high up on the list of uh, standards, other than, you know, revising the current standard for a home screen. Mike, uh, tell
3: them about arsenic.
2: There you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I am the ISO vice president, and uh, we uh, there's uh, about five or more standards that we're working on right now. Arsenic is a big one, um, you know, and Rich really has been, uh, uh, I, I guess, an industry leader as it pertains to combining uh, indoor air quality and environmental problems at with the property transfer so um but we're expanding that we've got school standards Uh, as you know there's some states now that require um i guess they they say in their piece of legislation routine or regular radon testing of school districts Uh, in florida there's pieces of legislation like that so not only radon but uh, other issues so um, we're trying to expand the residential picture the iaq picture to to the school setting you know they are they're cousins but they're not brother and sister you know a school building and a residential building but sometimes the sampling strategies will be the same um so in a nutshell there are quite a few standards coming down the pike with arsenic being the one ready to go very soon great
2: well thanks for joining us mike i don't know if you, did you have anything else you wanted to add or are we ready to sign off here guys
3: no it's, I, I have nothing to add it's it's incredible this is uh, I've seen in uh, the IE Connections newspaper, which is a, a great newspaper, by the way, the For ad for this radio station. You're welcome. And uh, it's, it's, I it, was it uh, by design or accident that the ESP advertisement is directly across from the uh, um, the IAQ radio ad. <laughs>
2: Completely accidental. Know, but, we, we, we,
3: we
1: paid a lot of extra money to be close to you, Joe.
2: <laughs> well, thank you, Rich. Yes. And thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, though, we did want to uh, let Cliff bring up a little quick brief news item that just came out yesterday for some of our listeners that might be interested.
0: You know, some of the listeners may have
2: been following the
0: ConAgra situation where a bunch of people got sick from eating tainted peanut butter. Uh, A bunch of people happened to be 425 people in 44 states. And a bunch of lawsuits have been filed that involved the huge callback of uh, peanut butter that had been made and and so on and so forth. And what's interesting about it is that this was water-related. And it was water-related, and it wasn't related to mold. It wasn't related to toxic mold. I guess this would be related to toxic bacteria, or in this case, uh, salmonella. At least infectious bacteria. Absolutely. And what the, th- the theory is that they had several incidents in this facility. There was a roof leak. There were a couple of sprinkler uh, systems that deployed. Uh, they feel that the dust that was in the building... Had dormant salmonella bacteria in it. This triggered it. It got into the food. It tainted the food. And again, you know, we hear that mold was there first, but if you go back and you look at the Bible, you'll see that they're talking about anthrax as one of the 10 plagues back in Exodus. So even in the Bible, it was bacteria first. First to grow, first in the Bible, in my opinion, a much more serious health risk. But in any event, back to you, Joe. Thanks well, it for it all.
2: Time. It all goes back to moisture again. Absolutely. So thank you, Cliff. I'd really yeah. like to thank Rich Finnegan. Rich, before we go, could you tell our listeners how they can learn more about you or contact your, you or your company?
1: Well, they can contact us at um, esp uh, ESPUSA.net or they can reach us at 888 380. 2344 and uh, we hope that uh, many of the listeners uh, today will regardless of whether you become CEHIs um, think about the real issue in, in, in your career and it really is moisture management
2: excellent couldn't leave with anything better than that Zach I do believe we do have a little uh, sign off music for Mr. Finnegan thanks again for joining us Oh, I love the music. Thanks. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye, Rich. thank you CJ and thanks to my host my co-host here Cliff Zlotnick you're welcome it's a great pleasure uh, another interesting week our technical director Dr. Wile, was not able to join us today he had to go teach a class at uh, the University of Pittsburgh but we will have him back again next week we're looking at maybe an open mic next week so for any of you out there that are interested in calling in and Asking a few questions, we're thinking about maybe an open mic. I also want to thank uh, Cyber jockey Zach Slotnick, of course. Of course, Joe. Thank you so much for your help. And, of course, to our growing group of uh, listeners out there, please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.
0: This has been another IAQ Radio production.